The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Hey everyone, if you would just turn to your Bibles, the Gospel of John chapter 1, we'll be reading verse 9 through 13, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you saw on the screen some of the people uh, that you may not recognize. Those are people that I work with. Those are, uh, some of them were my, uh, my employees and some of them were people that I worked with at the, uh, around for, for years and years and years. And uh, we just moved into a new office back in the spring. Uh, it wasn't a big move. It was like literally right beside the office that we were in before. And uh, we liked it because uh, the new office had a closet, and we could hide all our stuff in there. And because it, uh, there was, anyway, there's several of us in the office, but me and this guy named Craig, we, we were in there most of the time. And so it looked like two guys that had been in our office for 10 years together, and just stuff was all over the, Like, you, you walk in one day, and you see it with fresh eyes, like, wow, we live in the ghetto. And so we, we kind of just decided to leave all that aside and then move over to this new office that had a closet where we could throw stuff in. And uh, but it was interesting. So that was back in like around April. And a few weeks ago or so, uh, Jason Burton came because uh, he'll drop in every now and then and visit. And he stopped by and he said, hey, why is there a Woodman of the World plaque by the entrance to your office? And I was like, I don't think there is. And he's like, yeah, there is. And so I went out there and looked, and that was the people who had been in the office before us. But what had happened is that plaque had been there for so long. And I'd seen it so many times that I didn't even recognize it was there. And I think that we do that with Christmas. Like, that plaque, I had seen it so often, it became like just kind of vague background scenery that you don't even notice anymore. And I think we do that with Christmas a lot of times. Like, we know the story and we see it so much that it just kind of blends into some fuzzy background as we rush through the month of December. But actually, that's not a new thing. That's not a... That's not a modern invention. It actually happened the very beginning of the story, and it happens and it continues to happen to this day. It's a danger that we all face when it comes to Christmas. Um, the, so you have four gospels, the beginning of the, of the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all open with a narrative, though they come up from different ways of the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, but John comes at it in a little bit of a different way. Uh, they tell, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell a narrative and a story, but John starts out with this kind of beautiful, figurative language. Matthew, as it starts out, talks about uh, how Jesus is king, but John talks about how Jesus is light that comes to darkness. So let's look again, since it's, I snotted and cried, and you guys are saying happy birthday since... Uh, as Miles read Matthew, uh, John 1, 9 through 13. The true light, that's Jesus, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Uh, In order for us to kind of more clearly understand what John is saying here in this beautiful figurative language where he's talking about Jesus the light and he came into the world and the world, uh, his own, they did not receive him. We're gonna overlay it with a story that we are familiar with, that we probably have heard and sung about so many times that it kind of blends into the background scenery. Uh, anybody know the story of the three wise men? Anybody can sing that song? Yeah? Anybody know the story of the three wise men? Can sing the song? Yeah. So, so we know this. Matthew 2, it tells us that the days of Herod the king, that uh, there were three wise men who came from the east, and they said, we have seen the uh, star, and we have come to worship the king of the Jews. Which is kind of interesting, because up until maybe even 50 or 100 years ago or so, uh, there were a lot of historians that didn't think that could be true. Because the idea of astrologers or wise men or learned men coming from the East from a different culture to the Jewish nation and asking to see the king of the Jews so that they could worship him and pay homage to him sounded like it was not true, like it was a false story. But we know that it's kind of an interesting thing that that not only could that have happened, but there was a, a rumor around right around this time that there was a great king that had been born in Judea who was going to uh, set up a great kingdom. In fact, uh, there was a Roman general, and I forget his name, uh, but you can look it up. There was a Roman general who ended up becoming Caesar, and the way that he became the emperor of Rome is he, he put down a rebellion uh, in Galilee, in, Jude- in Judea, actually, and he claimed that he had put down this great rebellion that was coming by the great king that was going to set up a kingdom that was gonna rule. This morning, we're going to see, see, three, see three things about this king that the three wise men came to worship. We're going to see who receives the king. We're going to see how to receive the king. And we're going to see the nature of that king. Who receives the king, how to receive the king, and the nature of that king. Part of the interesting thing of the story is that the, the magi or the wise men were learned, cultured, wealthy, powerful men from a totally different culture who came all the way on a great journey to see this king who had been born. And it's interesting because like, they were, in the, Jewish, in the Jewish culture, if you were a Gentile, you were considered a pig. They would call Gentiles pigs. The Jews were the chosen people of God, and the Gentiles were outside of that. They were not just second-class citizens. They weren't, just, they weren't citizens at all. And yet, here they are in their foreign land. They're, they would look up in the stars at night, and they would read the stars because there was this belief that when something happened great in the world, because they didn't have uh, you know, the internet and CNN and uh, newspapers to tell them like what was going on in the world. So they would r- look at the stars and they believed that the stars would tell them what was going on in the world. In fact, it really helped their kind of industry when, uh, when uh, Julius Caesar died at his funeral, a supernova appeared in the sky. 
And so like for years and years, they were able to say, hey, it actually does work when, when th- big things happen, the stars tell us what's going on. And so here they are in a foreign land and they see the star and we don't even know how they came to this knowledge. Not only do they see a star that appeared or something that appeared in the, in the heavens above them, but they see it and they have enough knowledge to know that this star means the king of the Jews, a great king has been born. Great enough that they should actually not only observe it and mark that that has happened, but they should leave their land and travel all the way to Israel to pay homage to this king. But it's interesting, whenever they make this long travel and they get to Jerusalem and they go and meet with Herod, who would be the one to meet with if the great king has been born, right? You're gonna meet with the king of the Jews to to figure out where this new king of the Jews has been born. When they meet with Herod, he calls his wise men around. So these wise men from the east come in and man, this thing is going crazy this morning. Jamin has tiny ears, and I have not been able to get it straight from last week all morning long. He's a large man with big muscles, but with tiny little ears. And, and I have large ears, and well, you know the rest. All right. We're gonna roll with that the way it is. So they get, they get to Jerusalem, they meet with Herod, and Herod says, hey, what's going on? So he calls his wise men. So wise men from the east come, he calls his wise men together and says, what are they talking about? And when he calls them together, his wise men say, hey, what they say is true. Uh, when the Messiah comes, the king that we've been waiting for, when he comes, he is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, this is an interesting thing to me. So the wise men come from the east, these Gentiles who do not know the one true God, do not worship the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who the Jews would have considered Gentile pigs. They see a star, they pack up their bags, they travel a long way, they get to Jerusalem, they're asking, hey, where is this kid that we're trying to find, this new king? The wise men who who are here in Jerusalem say, yes, what they're saying is true. That's the way it's gonna happen. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem. And they say, hey, point us to him. I said, well, we don't know where he is. It would be in Bethlehem. And so the, the three wise men from the east head to Bethlehem, but Herod's wise men, the Jewish wise men, the ones who were learned, who knew the Bible, who knew the scripture, who knew where the Messiah was gonna be born, they stay in Jerusalem. They stay in the palace. They're just chilling. They're indifferent and apathetic to the king who's been born. And I wonder this morning who you and I associate ourselves with in the story. Because most of you in here, if you've been a believer for very long or if you've been around church very long, you and I are probably prone to be more like the Jewish wise men who stayed in the comfort of the palace under the protection of Herod rather than going out to seek the king who had been born. But these Gentiles who are in darkness, who are outside of the covenant community, see a star and pack their bags and come to worship him. The first thing that happened is they saw, they were seeking, they were open, they were looking, they were aware that there has got to be something more out there. Yeah, we're smart, yeah, we're wealthy, yeah, we, we, we 
kind of are powerful and influential, but there's some greater king who is coming, and when we find him, we need to go, not, we need to drop everything that we're doing and go and worship him. And in that, the wise men are a lot more like the disciples that Jesus called who dropped their nets and followed him than even the Jewish wise men who are sitting in Jerusalem are. They saw and God met them. This is so incredibly interesting and should be encouraging to you and I this morning. God met them right where they were. You know, astrology is like not good with like, God's not okay with reading the stars and thinking that that tells us what's going on. Astrology is called witchcraft in the Bible. And yet God broke into their incorrect belief and spoke to them right where they were. And you and I, if you and I who are believers in Christ this morning, you share some sort of story like that where God met you right where you were and spoke to you in a way that even when you try to tell your story of how you came to faith in him, it, it, you're like, you, you try to tell these little things that happened that meant a lot to you at the time that but don't mean a lot to anybody else. He met you right where you were. He spoke to you right where you were. And if you are not a believer in Christ this morning, he comes to you and will meet you right where you are and speak to you and call you if you are looking, if you are seeking, if you are open. They saw, but then they came. They left all they had. There was a tough journey ahead of them. It, it's a lot like the disciples who dropped their nets and left their all to follow Jesus Christ. They left their all and came. But then what did they find when they got there? They get there and they find Herod and he doesn't know where they are. The wise men don't know where they are. And they end up going, traveling on the way to Bethlehem and yet they, the, the, then they see the star again and the star somehow leads them to Bethlehem and leads them right to the house. We don't even know how that worked. We don't know what that meant. How did, what did that look like? Is it some miracle? Is it some, I, we don't really know. But somehow they end up in finding, finding the baby and they walk in and find a baby there of a peasant carpenter and a young girl, 12, 13 years old, who had been born not into royalty, but had been born into a barn in the midst of stinky, smelly sheep and donkeys with manure on the floor and the smell of cow urine in the air. The baby was born there. And these wise men, these learned, wealthy, powerful men, when they walk into the presence of this baby, for some reason, they worship him. What did the wise men see that was worthy of worship that the family, friends, and neighbors didn't? Think about it. Mary and Joseph would have been around family and friends there in Bethlehem getting counted for the census. And nobody, we don't read of anybody else standing around worshiping the baby Jesus except the shepherds who were the dregs of society. I mean, literally, they were the dregs of society, the outcasts and the Gentile pigs from a foreign land. They come and they see something in the baby worthy of worship. And it takes God illuminating your heart 
for you to see something other than the foolish story of a baby that was born to a virgin who would somehow come and save the world. It's a little bit of a crazy story. But God has to breathe into your soul and if he does, then one moment the story is crazy, foolishness, and the next moment it is precious to you. They saw, they came, and then they gave. They honored and acknowledged him as Lord, as the king. They gave what was costly, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts fit for a king that no matter how powerful, no matter how uh, noble they were, no matter how rich they were, they were incredibly costly gifts to give up. Two, when you walk, think about it, when you walk in, there's not a king in a palace, it's a baby born of a peasant couple who aren't even married, whose society would have considered an illegitimate son. They walk in and they give him gifts that were costly and fit for a king. They gave what was costly and they gave what they had. And then they gave to honor and acknowledge him as king, they received him as the king. Who receives the king? History tells us the outcasts and the dregs. Though the magi were wise men and they were learned and they were wealthy and powerful, they were not Jewish believers. And the shepherds were the armpit of society. Those are the ones that he calls because those are the ones who know they have a need. When you and I forget our needs, we forget how empty-handed we are by nature. When we forget how broken we are, we become more like Herod's wise men than the wise men that came from the East because we forget how needy and empty we are. Who receives the king? the empty-handed, the broken, the outcasts who are willing to see and come and give. That's who receives the king. But then how do we receive the king? Think about this. When John says in verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's this picture of the king bringing light into darkness. And when that light comes, it brings a distinction. Some people hated the light. We're We're just the comedy of errors this morning. Some people hated the light, that's Herod. Some people are indifferent to the light, that's his wise men. But some love the light. But seeing his coming is not enough. Herod's wise men had the mental knowledge to understand that yes, that makes sense, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And yet, 
seeing and understanding it is not enough. Receiving him from afar is not enough. He must be personally received as king. Because see, the nature of a king being born, the nature of a king who rules and reigns creates a distinction. It instantly creates two groups of people. There's no way around it. There are his subjects and there's who are not his subjects. And the question is this morning, where do you and I fall in that? Either the king is the king who rules and reigns and we are his subjects and we recognize that and we honor and acknowledge him as such or either whether it's apathetic indifference or whether it's outright hatred, we are in the other's group. We are outside the rule and reign of the king. The word receive, let earth receive her king has a couple of meanings. It means to greet or welcome formally. It means to be visited by or to provide space or accommodation for. It's a picture of a king showing up and you recognizing you're the king and I'm not. These three wise men who traveled, who were rich and powerful and wealthy and learned, they come before this baby in this peasant home They offer him gifts that are reserved for a king and they bow themselves and worship him. They don't just give him gifts, they bow themselves and subject themselves to this peasant baby. They provided space or accommodation for him. What was it that caused these learned and influential men to, to worship a baby. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? When you really think about it. I mean, we sing the song, but when you really think about these learned and wise and influential men traveling and they finally get there and it's just a humble peasant baby and they bow and worship him, what was it that caused them to worship him? Well, first of all, it was announced with an amazing sign. They were looking in the stars and they saw something that was amazing enough it made them drop everything that they were doing. Secondly, they were driven by a God-given hunger. Some sort, of, some sort of working of God in their hearts where they said like, it's not just something interesting to note or to make record of, but we have to go and find him. We have a God-given, God-given hunger to find him, even if they might not have been able to to. Phrase it in those words. And then when they got there, they saw an incomparable glory in that humble baby. That you and I have been given an amazing sign of the king. Not only that he was born of a virgin and these wise men came and worshiped him and the angels appeared to the shepherds and the shepherds came and worshiped him. But the most amazing sign of all that that baby was born in order to live a perfect life and then die a costly, costly death on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. And then not only that, but he was resurrected from the dead no longer in the grave and is seated right now at the right hand of the Father 
before, until his second coming, his second advent, the second Christmas comes. An amazing sign we have been given. But the question is, what do we do with that sign? Do we look at the sign and sit there and think, oh, that's cool? Or do we, or do, or do we, or do we let the next thing happen is let God build in us a God-given hunger and drive and desire for something greater? And then do we see in that humble peasant baby that grew to a humble peasant man who died a humiliating death on the cross, do we see an incomparable glory in the cross and in the person of Jesus that causes us to give what we have, to give what is costly, to acknowledge him as king and to worship him can see the very nature of the king is beautiful. Don't be fooled by that, ba- like the, the wise men of, of the Jews and the wise men from the east, don't be fooled by the baby's humble appearance. That humble baby in the manger is none other than the king of the universe. That helpless baby in, that was born in that manger that was sitting with his mother and father when these wise men walked in. He is the rightful king of the world. And he must and he will be received as such. He must and he will be worshiped as such. There is no way getting around it. It happens now or it happens in the future, but he is the king the rightful king. What makes him the rightful king? Well, think about what kind of leader do we want? We're we're heading into, we're already in uh, the endless election cycle in America. And we're now thinking about, without getting political at all, we're now thinking about what kind of person do we want to rule or govern as president of the United States? There's lots of lists that we have. But really, two key things stand above all the rest. When they, when they judge how a politician did at a debate or in a speech, they're really, it really comes down to they're looking at two things. We're looking at, is this person powerful? Do they command the room? Or can you picture them in charge of the entire nation? And then the other thing we're asking is, are they approachable? Are they likable? You heard like the, the beer test, like which candidate would I want, most want to like just sit around and have a beer with? Like those are the people that we tend to want to vote for. It comes down to power and humility. And only in Jesus, the rightful king, do both of those marry together without any sort of compromise. He is the rightful king of the world because he is the creator of the universe. He holds all power in his hand. It is all at his disposal. He bows his knee to no one. He commands every room that he is in. He owns the universe. He thought it all up. He holds it all together. He set it all in motion. And at this very moment, if he were to remove his hand, it would all disappear in a moment. This world is an amazingly 
complex creation, and he thought it up. We're still discovering it. We haven't gotten to the bottom yet. Right now, we're the most smart generation that there ever has been. They say that our knowledge is doubling every five years. Our knowledge of what is of the world is doubling every five years. We are exponentially growing in knowledge, and yet still, it's evolving. What we think is wise and smart now was was. What we think, what our parents considered wise and smart 40 years ago is now considered stupid. And we are not at the zenith now. 40 years from now, what we think and what we do and what we believe will be considered stupid. It is always increasing, and yet he knows it all. To discover the depths of his creation is a, a bottomless well we will never get to the bottom of. He is the king because he is the creator. He holds the world in his hand. He holds all power in his hand. And yet, and yet, he became a human. All power and yet humility. Didn't he, just, he didn't just become a human. He didn't just like appear one day and walk out of a cave as a fully grown human being with like glory radiating from him and like gold dust dripping from him saying, I'm the one. He came as a peasant baby in a forgotten armpit of a country to a poor, unmarried couple. He became a lowly peasant human. And then the humility didn't end there. He grew, he grew as a son of, this, of his parents and ultimately went to the most humiliating death possible. And at his death was followed by only a handful of people who thought it was all over. He holds all power, and yet he is infinitely approachable. Scripture tells us that there is nothing that you and I go through that he did not experience himself. Why is it joyous that the rightful king has come? Which, by the way, that king that I just described is a king that you and I can not only honor and acknowledge, but it's a king that we can love because he holds all power and is yet infinitely approachable at the same time. Why is it joyous that the rightful king has come? When the rightful king shows up, he brings order to disorder. He came to set at right all that was wrong with the world. I'm a bit of a nerd, as you can see. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. And I'm very excited. A couple of weeks it comes out, the new Star Wars. Uh, I also, I also uh, hope Jesus gets that kind of whoop later on, but I, I, uh, I am excited. Uh, I also enjoy the Lord of the Rings. And the, the last book, the last movie in the Lord of the Rings series is The Return of the King. And the picture there is so uh, close and so beautiful as pointing to the return of the rightful king. The nation had been fallen under disrepair. 
It was a shell of its former glory. They lived in the past. They looked back and said, wasn't it awesome back there in the past, but yet things had broken down. The rulers were uh, selfish. It looked like it could never be put back together again until the king, the rightful king, returned and restored the nation to its former glory. That's what happens when the rightful king shows up. And that's what happened and is happening between the first Christmas and the second Christmas, between the first advent and the second advent that is coming. Jesus came and he set in motion the the making right again of all things, the renewing of all things that have been broken, all the things that have been marred, all the things that have been subjected to darkness, bringing light to it and restoring it and redeeming it at the end. Not just forgiving us of our sins, but redeeming us, restoring us to the glory that was intended at the beginning, to not just, to, uh, not just to redeeming us, but restoring even creation back to the way it was meant to be at the beginning. He brings order to disorder. He brings unity to disunity. When the king is not around, we all serve our own masters. We all run with our own little mini lords. But when the rightful king shows up, He demands all honor and all service and all worship. And what comes with that is a unity. Though we are different and we come from different backgrounds, we look different, we act different, there's a unity that comes from service and worship of the one king. He brings order to disorder. He brings unity to disunity. And then he brings affirmation to doubt and disillusionment. He brings affirmation to doubt and disillusionment. Here's what I mean by that. The implications when Jesus became a man and he took on flesh are incredible. It means that he's not done with you and me yet, and it means he's not done with this world. Some of us grew up in churches, if you grew up in a church, that said, like, this world is kind of bad and it's kind of evil. And one day he's going to burn it all up in fire and he's going to throw it all away. And then we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be with him in this kind of like cloud-like heaven where apparently everybody plays harps and has wings. But what he coming to earth and becoming a man means is that he's not done with this world It may be broken, it may be subjected to darkness, but he's redeeming it. He's restoring it. And whenever he comes again for the second time, he's gonna finish remaking this creation into the glory that he originally intended for it to have in an even greater glory. It means that you and I as human beings, he's not done with you yet. And last of all, the rightful king brings order to disorder. He brings unity to disunity. He brings affirmation to doubt and disillusionment. But then he makes us children of God, of the king. Listen to the ending part of that, uh, of our uh, reading from this morning. But to all who did receive him, so some didn't, but all who did receive him, the Shepherds, the outcasts, the Gentiles, the pigs who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become what? Let me hear it. Let me hear it again. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He makes us children of God. The king makes us princes and princesses of God. His heirs, his loved children. The return of the king brings joy to those who have eyes to see and hearts to adore. Joy to the world. He's not done with us. The king has come to rule in power and humility. Open your eyes. Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. As we get ready for communion, I want us to think about how this should be good news to all of us. The rightful king has come in power and humility. And if not, then that means one of two things. It means either you're not a subject of the king you're not a believer in Christ this morning. That doesn't, maybe you've been around church all your life, but whenever you hear the, the joy to the world, the king, the rightful king has come and he is coming again and it doesn't stir your heart and stir love and affection for the rightful king. If it doesn't push your heart to worship of him, then maybe you're not a believer this morning. And that's okay to acknowledge that this morning. It's good news if you can realize that. But then, it's also good news that like the Gentile wise men, you can see the rightful king and worship him this morning as you bow your knee to him and accept his sacrifice on your behalf. Or if it's not good news to you this morning, then it means that you probably believe wrongly about the king. It probably means that the, your picture of who the king is and what his nature and character is, what he does, what he has done for you, what he is doing right now is probably messed up. And that's okay to acknowledge that this morning if that's where you are. As we take a few moments before Justin comes up to lead us in communion, to take a few moments and to pray, God, would you open my eyes to believe rightly about you, that you are humble and powerful, that you are the rightful king that has come to set things right again, to bring unity to disunity, to, to uh, put together what has been broken, to bring order to disorder. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in this moment. Some of us, we... Maybe we believe wrongly about the, who the true king is. Or maybe our hearts have grown dull because we've forgotten. I pray you would remind us. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear the good news this morning that the rightful king has returned. To not be fooled by his humble appearances, but to rejoice. For you have made and will make all things new again.
And it's in the name of that King Jesus we pray. Amen. six or seven hundred years before uh, Christ is in the manger being born um, the prophet Zechariah is writing to the nation of Israel and uh, a a lot was going on there and and specifically in chapter 9 he's reminding them that there's a coming king so it's uh, Zechariah 9 verses 9 and 10 let me read it to you Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So that was very true of Christ's first coming, but it's even more true of his second coming. When he came the first time, he brought uh, hope and salvation. And when he comes again, he'll bring healing and restoration. And so this morning, let's be reminded of the future hope that we have with our King. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. 
We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.